Aloha Kako. Welcome to the Aloha Friday Conversation, Art, Culture, and Ideas in Hawaii. I'm Noetani Gawa. Thank you so much for your company today. You know, over 1,500 of you contributed to the fundraiser recently. Mahalo to you. This program is for you. <laughs> so let's jump in with singer, cultural advisor, Ku'u Ipo Kumukahi. Kumukahi is also an educator, as you'll hear from one of her former students, Janine Heleloa. A celebrated entertainer and recording artist, Kumukahi is Director of Hawaiian Culture at the Hyatt Regency, and she sits on the Hawaii Tourism Authority Board. I ask Ipo what she sees for our visitor industry ahead. We are a whole new destination. We're not the same destination as before. Now, that may be laying heavy on marketing and branding people because pretty much throughout time, Hawaii's been a cookie-cutter place for marketing. You know, we market Hawaii the same like everybody else, the Bahamas and Caribbean. We're not like that. Everything in the music tells people about Hawaii. So how do we harness that energy? How do we take a music piece and use that as a teaching tool to create an experience? Not a tour, an experience. And look for the responsible visitors that want to be here because they want a whole new life experience. Not just sand, sun, and alcohol. No, that's what Hawaii's been promoted as before. So with the help of the Hawaii Tourism Association, we are now with new strategic plans. We've adopted the Aina Aloha principles. We have a new CEO who is native Hawaiian, and he has a mana'o of malama ku'uhome, take care of my home. So we're speaking it in the hotels about we have to care for one another. And even visitors, they have a responsibility to take care of us as we take care of them. And everybody has a responsibility to take care of the land as the land takes care of us. Yeah. Well, so how are you going to get that across? So how do we get that across? Yes. So it's going to have to, you know, I told my boss, I said, let it come from the Hawaiian voice. You know, really the Hawaiian voice. That's what we grew up with, how to be caring. And then that comes across of our, all our ethnic groups in Hawaii, because we all have the same language of taking care of our family. We take care of one another in our words, how we say our words, how we behave in our actions to one another. It really is a behavior change. And all of us who grew up in Hawaii, we know how to take care of one another. So we just have to bring that forward. The first action to me is we, as the Kama'aina, if we don't put our mask on, we cannot expect the Malahini to put their mask on as simple as it gets. Are there more people? There, there are more people around. Do they wear masks? No. Oh, you, you noticed that. The policemen were out there. But you, you still see, you know, people who are not mindful of sanitation. And they, it's hard because we have a lot of homeless out on the beach or out on the streets in Waikiki. I know the homeless and the human service department has had run-ins with the ACLU. And, you know, I, I urge the ACLU members to get out on the streets and start cleaning, start sanitizing. State can't do it all. City can't do it all. We need all hands on deck. That's number one, is keeping Waikiki clean. When you think about Waikiki and you think about the royals that still have property in their estates, think about their character. You know, character is a lot to do with it. For mm. example, where the Hyatt sits, that land area is known as Pualeilani. It was given that name by Prince Kuhio, who enjoyed the fragrant flowers of his aina right there in Waikiki. 
And of course, you know, King Kalakaua was a composer, Kuilili Okalani, his sister, his sister, Princess Like Like, and his brother, Prince Leleohoku. Queen Kapiolani composed songs too. And, uh, you know, otherwise people who showed love for Ali'i wrote for them. Going to Iolani Palace, I wanted visitors to hear songs that were written in the imprisonment room by Queen Liliuokalani, because there's nothing like this in the world. Which songs were those that she composed there in that room? Kupua Ipawakalani and Kialoha Okahaku, the Queen's Prayer. I had the privilege of um, listening to Ipo sing in the imprisonment room. And actually one time, just as we were coming up, Ipo came out and there was nobody else. And so she sang. And I tell you, the tears were just rolling down my face. It's, it's so hard to imagine how a human being can have that much love in her heart to ask for forgiveness on behalf of those that are wronging her. And not only just love within herself, but then to pen it and to share it. And so part of our kuleana is to perpetuate it. And this is another thing that we learned from Ipo's class that I really appreciate was how important the delivery is. It's the composer, it's the musician, and it's the audience. And the three make up the entire musical experience. We heard Janine Heleloa, co-founder of the Hawaiian Music Preservation Society with Kumukahi. They'll be back later with music in a quite different delivery system. For now, let's stay with the palace, Iolani Palace. Journalist Paula Akana stepped in as executive director of the Friends of Iolani Palace just over a year ago. Akana says when the first COVID shutdown hit March 19th, they faced a precipice. Ticket sales normally account for 93% of revenue, and they have no safety net. CARES funding and the community have saved the palace so far. Akana says their monthly nut is about $110,000, if nothing breaks. We're really, really in a quandary, but I think the nice thing about COVID, if you want to look for a silver lining, is we were able to kind of hit that pause button and figure out you know, what do we need to do in the, we're still figuring out the short term, but what do we want to see in the long term for the palace? I think she offers much more than just an attraction for people to walk through. So we opened really successfully in April and we were kind of afraid of what was going to happen because now we're only relying on the local community. And really, I feel the local community felt pushed out in a lot of places by just overwhelming tourists. Visitors are super important because they usually come to Hawaii not knowing anything about our history, thinking we just became a state. And so I think the palace is really critical in that visitor education so they understand who we are, what we've been through, and why we go through what we go through now and, and where we could be in the future. But 
local people, um, our Hawaii residents and even our active military residents came out in full force and they came and visited. And so we're doing really well. And then we had that second lockdown. So now we're back to the beginning, which is only five people. So that's about five people. A tour is really only about 100 or 110 people a day max. We were used to be running 500 a day and we're only operating three days a week because we have to rely on a lot of volunteers, make sure people are social distancing. So we're definitely still hurting. There was a great response when we first opened from the community and a lot of donations came through and grants and so forth. And so we're probably good until about the end of March. Paula Akana, executive director of the Friends of Iolani Palace. She says the bunting will go up for King Kalakaua's birthday, that's November 16th. And for Queen Kapiolani's birthday at the end of the year, Akana says lanterns will festoon the palace grounds over the holidays. To sip a little glass of wine And gaze it to your eyes divine To feel the touch of your lips Pressing on mine To spend one night with you You're listening to Teresa Bright and Steve Maie from their album Catching a Wave. Lanai recorded its first COVID cases October 20th. Just 10 days later, Lanai posted 97 positive cases. The island entered lockdown this week, and cases are decreasing. After being virus-free for seven months, I asked Diane Preza, former teacher, born and raised on Lanai, what the community is saying about what happened. Don't know on Lanai, there's all kind of talk about all kind of different things. I try not to listen to all that kind of stuff because I think for us it's more important. It's here and we know it's here. So how we're we gonna um, move forward and work together as a community? How about in the stores? How are supplies been? So far it's okay. I think I mean we can get what we need. You know the two stores. I give them so much credit because um, and their employees because they work so hard in trying to keep us supplied. We don't have mail delivery to our homes. So we go to the post office. They also have their safety protocols. And it's a very small area, the office, where you pick up mail or do your business. So the line extends outside on the sidewalk and kind of into the parking lot. So I notice like there's always a long line. What do you folks normally do for Halloween? <laughs> oh, yeah. Usually the kids, you know, they go to the Yeah, it, some people decorate their yards. And, you know, it all depends where the kids are growing up. So, like... A long time ago, kids grew up in the new housing side, Lalakoa, so that place was really busy. And then when we had another housing, kind of where I live, we were having kids, so that's the popular place. So I guess it depends. I, I don't know what's happening on Saturday. You know, so this weekend we're having another mass testing. Last week, Saturday, we had one. The Dole Administration Building, like there's a big parking lot and the drive through There was a lot of success with that. So they're doing it again. Is there one place that people find out about it? Like the testing tomorrow? What <laughs> Coconut wireless, no. <laughs> a lot through social media. You know, people send an email, blast out. And it's amazing how news gets around over here on Lanai. I think overall the sentiment is that, you know, 
although you know we don't like what's happening and nobody does anywhere i think if anything lanaians feel a sense of community we really do pull together as a community and we appreciate the people that have helped us we'll get phone calls from friends and family hey, how are you guys doing we heard on the news what's happening but you know there's like a outpouring of support and you know i know the community appreciates it with the hotels shut down does that mean people are laid off i don't know if laid off or furloughed perhaps it could be a combination i'm really not sure some people are not working and also because of the lockdown we're trying to be careful but you know hopefully you know things will get better and then we can move forward has there been a lot of hunting and fishing going on yeah there was until on um, this lockdown you can still fish to feed your family and stuff and i think there's still archery hunting but the other types of hunting have suspended for a little bit that's another thing is like you know they share the uh, venison so if you don't hunt anymore or if you never did someone will always share well that's one choice item that we'd have to pay very dearly for on this <laughs> island oh <laughs> it's so good to talk to you Diane really yeah thanks so much for your perspective oh yeah you're welcome noy Hey, thanks, Diane. Diane Preza, born and raised on Lanai. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Kahala Hotel and Resort on Oahu, announcing the reopening of their restaurants, welcoming Kama'aina back to Hoku's, the Veranda, and Plumeria Beach House. Reservations at kahalaresort.com. Aloha, this is Jose Fajardo, president of Hawaii Public Radio. We successfully concluded our fall membership campaign on Wednesday with over $636,000 in contributions, and we also welcomed 721 new members. HPR has been here for you, and during this membership campaign, you were there for us. A sincere mahalo for making HPR possible now and into the future. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Office of Elections, reminding voters that there are no polling places on Election Day. Registered voters should drop off their ballot to a place of deposit by General Election Day on November 3rd. Elections.hawaii.gov. Woven throughout this program, I hope you're enjoying a musical gem re-released this year in digital and vinyl by local label Aloha Got Soul. Steve Maie and Teresa Bright, Steve and Teresa, were unique on the Oahu music scene in the 1980s. You're hearing cuts from their first album, Catching a Wave. Now let's turn to shelter, housing, and look at it a few different ways. We'll start in Waimanalo, where Blanche McMillan is sheltering 52 formerly homeless people on a state parcel behind her family homestead on Hilu Street. Auntie Blanche, as she's known, had the support of elected officials when she opened her shelter in March. As the homeless along the highway at Waimanalo Beach Park expand, 
I've been hearing people are happy out at Auntie Blanche's place. Of course, anytime. Come, come. We're gonna take you on a tour. Really? And you can interview us. You can ask us any questions. This is Mabel. Hi, Aloha. Aloha, Mabel. And that's my daughter Willie. That's my husband Willie. <laughs> this is the whole group. People who work for the Hui Mahi Aina. For this Aina, initially her intent was it was supposed to be for agriculture. She would feed the community through doing agriculture on this property. And this is what it's supposed to be, not a homeless, but I turned it into a housing without the Department of Land and Natural Resource answer. I just did it. She's the outreach coordinator for St. George Church, which means that she's been feeding the homeless for the past 15 plus years. Yeah. It just broke her heart. The mayor swept the beaches, turned off the water, yeah. and left the people like that. She was emotionally upset. She invited yeah. them to a meeting at her house. I had the lieutenant governor, I had the councilman, I had the senate people and the representatives all here. We had a big meeting here with all my neighbors because I knew all the people and I felt so sorry for them and the coronavirus was going on. I went there. We showed them a plan, how they were gonna live. So when the day came, I said, you know, all you folks, whoever wants to come here now, you better follow me now. They say, Auntie, are you for real? Look how many years we waited, 10 years, 15 years. That's how long some of them lived on the beach. I said, no, Auntie is telling you the truth. In the two visits that I did, it's the second time I brought them home. Being people. Yes, right? yes. They just brought their tent and yes. everything over here. No, we had the houses. We built the house in March. 24th we started to kind of build houses here and there. Then on the April 2nd, we already had them here. It came from my mother and father. They were so Christian, yeah, very strong. And my father and mother always took care of the poor. People walking down the street, my mom, they would hanai instead of adapt. Hanai means that anybody that they see who don't have a home, they bring them home to our house. I come from a family of 17, yeah. Nine sisters and eight brothers. And I married and I have three children and I adopted five children. So I have eight children on my own. That's, she also fostered over 20. Yeah, 20 something. children yeah. that went through her house. Now today I get 52. <laughs> That's the total of the residents she got here. Wabanalo yeah. has always yeah. been embracing the homeless. Always. That's the concept, because a lot of us is Hawaiians in Wabanalo. Yep. And we was taught to share and to love. For Blanche, it's so easy for her yeah. for love. It's very difficult for me. But for Blanche, the way that she embraces the homeless people, the way that she shows them so much love and she cares for them is beyond you and I. You know, it would violate our personal risk, right? <laughs> I wanted to ask her what, I mean, a lot of people are very sympathetic to yeah. homeless people, but they never- They never tried to help them. But you know what really inspired me? These people, the homeless is only asking for love. That's all they wanted was a family to love them. And that's what I did. So they've been welcomed into yes. this family. Yes. And um, that changes the whole attitude of how you look at them. Yes. You become to look at them as your own family. And they treat it like their own family because of yeah. Blanche. Blanche yeah. sets the tone for everybody here that comes to Hui Mahe Ai. She yeah. teaches us how for love people. Hmm. All those people have changed. What they were when they first came here, 
is you, not you what knew them from before before they came here, yes, right? They I knew all of them. Yes. The That's Where what, were they? They were on the streets at the beach. Wamanalo Beach Park, Sherwood Forest, the Wamanalo Dump, and the gym all over. And I went survey last year. I counted was only actually was three hundred and twenty. Today I think we have a thousand. In those areas. Everywhere. You've worked with them. Can you yes. explain why won't they go into shelter even when it's raining like this? Well, you know what? They actually don't want to go into shelter unless they find a place that they're really welcome to. If they give us the lease, the DLNR, I'd be happy to take them. I'll bring them in. How many could you take? Hundred. Oh. Straight up from everything. I tell you, I take the hundred. With the state and the city's help, if they give me the lease and then give us help on this one. How old is the oldest here? 83. We have five senior citizens from 83, 81, 72, 70, 67. But the babies. We had a Hapai mom with four children. Yeah, that's the one. Show up over here for help. Then she gave birth last week. Yep. The babies that we have is a one week old, six months, nine months, and 18 months. And then the rest is eight, nine, 10, 12, and 15. We have 10 children total. Yeah. I have five people with cancer. That's, and they don't like leave. They don't want to leave. We have an 81-year-old who's taking radiation right now. And then I had one more came out of the hospital. She had a hip replacement. Yeah. And he's doing fine. No worry. I have all kinds. I like it. Not because of the economy, too, of the COVID. People is losing their home because they can't pay their mortgage. Yeah. They're gonna go live on the street pretty soon. What are we gonna do? This politics, everybody better start opening their eyes. This government, they need to take care of our people. If they're not, then I will. That's Auntie Blanche McMillan with Mabel Kili'ihoumalu out at Hui Mahiai Aina, shelter for homeless people in Waimanalo. Residents pay 120 a month and there are assigned jobs, rules, and curfews. We'll have a link to them posted with this story. Now, this past legislative session, SB 2206 was advancing. It's a bill that would encourage use of available DLNR parcels for homeless shelters. It's part of an idea for group living in kauhale, or small separate units, while sharing utilities like a kitchen, showers, etc., in much the same way that Hui Mahi Aina works. I asked Suzanne Case, chair of the State Department of Land and Natural Resources, how DLNR views that effort. Blanche McMillan, who's the organizer of the group, had a right of entry several years ago to look at doing a community farm project on this parcel, which probably would be a good use for the parcel. She had a right of entry to do due diligence, then that expired. And so there's no, actually no legal right for anyone to be making any use of the land right now. Hmm. How could something like this be dealt with retroactively, let's say? So they can apply for a permit to be there, but there are several major issues. One is it's in a flood zone. So structures in a flood zone have to have building permits that comply with the flood standards. Those are issued by the county. I see. They say that they've got a plan for flood mitigation there. And so this is something that they would take care of with the city. Is that correct? Right. That's right. Their plan would have to meet the national flood standards and they would need a building permit from the county. Mm -hmm. 
the Department of Health has issued a notice of violation actually to the state, to us, um, because they're using some of their wastewater from their outdoor shower facility to irrigate farming areas. That's also not permitted. And that would be Department of Health would do those permits. As far as the zoning, it is an ag zoned parcel. So doing a community farm there is uh, probably a good use, but not necessarily for housing associated with it. And that would be a zoning issue as well as a county building issue. And what is DLNR's position on what's taking place there right now? You know, they they moved in right in the middle of March, right when COVID hit and uh, started building structures. So we asked them not to build the structures. And we have sent them letters at least three times to ask them to not build structures. You know, just please pause it. We're, we're trying to work with them because of the COVID situation. You know, the national CDC guidance is you want to minimize disruption to homeless people. But we also don't want to aggravate the problem and create a problem for people who live nearby and create a problem for these people, you know, who may be at risk. If there's a big flood, you know, we have flash flood warnings. So it's not legally there and we are trying to work with them and the people who are supporting them to try to get them to address these issues. But again, honestly, the the good land for that kind of building has already been put in use. So it's it's a nice concept, but it's very hard to put in reality. And what kind of enforcement are you doing for encampments on DLNR land? We do have lots of homeless people living on DLNR land statewide. We have areas that are very challenging and we do cleanups with the legislature's support. We work in conjunction with the Department of Transportation and the homeless service providers, um, but it's very, very expensive. It takes a lot of process and often they move back the next day. So it's a really revolving problem that is challenging and continues to be more so. Can you give an estimate, a number of how many people there might be on deal in our land around the state? I, I don't know the number. Where have you noticed that there are some concentrations? Issues on the slopes of Diamond Head. We have people at Sand Island, Capenna Falls. These are on Oahu. We have people at a variety of places statewide. And then there are some who are, you know, not in in groups, but just sort of scattered about here here and there. That's Suzanne Case, chair of DLNR, discussing the unsheltered on state land. We've all seen the problem she's talking about. Recently in the Kapahulu area, neighbors and businesses, including at Market City, have been alarmed at a group of 40 or more homeless concentrated there at Crane Park. We met Jonathan there a couple of months ago. He's been homeless about three years now. His medical condition keeps him from holding a job. Crane Park is barricaded now, but one morning after rain, I found Jonathan around the corner on Kapahulu Avenue. These days, HPD offers their Provisional Outdoor Screening and Triage Facility, or POST, it's called, a kind of tent village to get people off the street. I thought maybe we would get Jonathan's perspective on his current situation. We ended up all here? Yeah. Well, they say the park is closed due to maintenance until January. How did they tell you that? They've been telling us for like um, a few weeks. The park's going to shut down pretty soon and everything. And how to find out. service providers come by? Oh, yeah. They they came. um, The guys from IHS. They're offering us to go to Post. But see, Post is not for all of us. You know what I mean? It's like, that's the... Pretty much is the only option the cops are giving us. 
to go to post. If not, keeping getting citations, citation, 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 and then next thing you know, warrants, 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 then arrest for get arrested for go back in for a few hours to only come back out to nothing again. That's just what they're they're trying to do. But what's wrong with the post? They'll promise us this, they promise us that. Yeah, it's just like preparing us to for what? For come back out here again? I get one friend who went to post. How come he came back? Why they did, he? They did you talk to him? Yeah, he's here with us. Well, he, why um, did he come back? Same thing what I went through is what he went through. What's that? To get disappointed. They tell you, you know, like, you're, you're going to get you housing. Well, housing to what? A shelter? That's not housing. That's being, like, in a, in a, like, a big gymnasium with a lot of people, you know, or a locker room or something. Hmm. Were you noticing more people turning up on the street with you guys nowadays? Just some, a few new faces I see. Just like the stragglers from the other places here, you know, that's understandable, but we keep, we try to keep our ship tight and we somewhat are together. Yeah. They had kind of a thing going there around the bathrooms and now they're closed. They said they're not going to open again until January. Yeah. What are you folks thinking? I, I really, right now, I don't know. I don't know, really. Did everybody splinter apart? Pretty much like everybody stay under the bridge. I ain't gonna go on the bridge. I want to die faster. <laughs> uh -huh. Oh man, it's so dirty down there. Oh my god, you don't know what's down there, really. The bridge over by the. You know where Texaco stay? Where the Japanese restaurant is at? Oh yeah. Yeah, right there. That fence right there. Bingo. That's one entrance for get down there. Yep. Yeah. Do you have any income? No, I'm just waiting on the SSDI for kick in already. But I still got my food stamps, but the money got cut. I try to find out why, and my worker won't return any of my calls. I'm in a lose this situation. That's why I, I'll be honest with you. I'm at that stage right now. I'm I'm, I'm giving up again. I'm, I'm like, I'm so I'm getting depressed again, and it sucks. When it come like this, I, I don't want to be around anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. I totally isolate. I wonder what's gonna happen, huh? I really don't know. All in all, I wanna just go to sleep because I'm not on any drugs or anything. I'm just so freaking tired. Of, like all this moving around, gotta stay alert because I don't know when they gonna come again. I know they gonna come again soon. I just got another citation this morning. You know where I grabbed the umbrella? That's where I was sleeping last night, right there. On the sidewalk there in front of the store. Yeah. How it was it? It was storming and luckily I had this umbrella and the cars just were splashing away. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Oh. A lot of life, yeah. Plus somebody stole my wallet. All my identifications are yeah. gone again. So <laughs> I don't know when it's gonna end, you know. For me. KD is only gonna keep my meds already. You still have them? Of course. Yeah, okay. Now it's gonna be hard because there's no bathroom. And I, I mean, I never take my meds today because I never eat nothing yet and there's no bathroom. It's Jonathan from Crane Park, Kapahulu. Jonathan's experiencing what so many fear. Dashboards with numbers on them almost mask the reality that losing shelter is a growing possibility for thousands of people in Hawaii. James Koshiba consults on housing and makes a point of working with people in need to shape viable solutions. My main role is as one of the volunteers and organizers of Hui Aloha, which is an all-volunteer group 
started to ensure that aloha has a life in our communities. And the way we define aloha is a sense of connection or oneness with each other. And so we looked first at places where there was separation. And one of those places was, was between people who were housed and people who were unhoused. Right now, and for the past couple of years, that's been our focus is to try to build those bridges back between houseless and housed. You're with the House COVID Subcommittee on Housing, which has taken a statewide perspective. Are people managing to stay in their homes? Well, first, the latest data that's out is really from UHERO. They did a survey with the collaboration of the boards of realtors in every county on whether people are current on their rent. That's the best data that we have. It was quite revealing, I thought, of what families must be going through, the decisions they must be making. Mm -hmm. When you have Mm -hmm. to decide between rent and food, and you're deciding rent. Mm -hmm. For most people, fear of losing their housing is such a high priority that people will pay rent before they pay other expenses. I was surprised to see that the number of people who are current on their rent is as high as it is. 86%, this is as of uh, middle of August, That's down about 10% from normal levels. It's usually about 95, 96% of people that are current on their rent by mid-month. And then there's about 8% of people who are 30 days or more behind on their rent. So it's 8% 30 days or more behind, 5% that are 60 days or more behind. We're probably looking at between 10 and 12,000 households that are a month or more behind on their rent. So that's, that's significant. That unemployment insurance plus up was a lifeline for many people. And that's really kept them and the economy afloat, I think, over the last several months. The economic forecasts are are not that encouraging. We'll be into the second half of 2021 before the economy recovers in a meaningful way. A lot depends on the reopening of tourism. That's sort of the economic picture. And because uh, federal assistance is so uncertain at this point, We're going to have to get really creative and dig deep to see how we can support people through this time. What everybody waits for, James, is the the trigger. Maybe we already should be looking for it, but, you know, what's going to trigger actually doing it? It's almost like waiting for sea level rise, right? Yeah, I mean, I get that. It's difficult right now to make moves because the future is so uncertain. But our best guess at this point is that the need is going to increase. You know, we're starting to see the increase now. That's what that latest Hero study shows, is that we're seeing the increase in housing instability. That we'll continue to see an increase into 2021, and that we can't count on federal resources at this point. The future is so unpredictable at this point. But I think the one thing that we can be confident of is that there's going to be a need for whatever resources there are within our people and within our communities. We're going to have a need to tap into those in 2021. We have a lot of short-term relief right now. And the counties and the city and county of Honolulu in particular also have other pots of money that they can use into 2021. But our needs in Hawaii are going to be deeper and longer lasting than the rest of the nation because we're so dependent on travel. For all those reasons, it makes sense to look at community-based solutions and community resources now. What would those be, do you think? We might have resources we never suspected or didn't recognize. (laughs) Yeah, I think what's called for now and what's going to be called for even more in 2021 is for any person and any organization with extra to be looking for ways to make that available to people that don't have. And in the context of housing, what that means is people with extra space in their homes, 
people with extra land as part of their property, companies, churches, nonprofit organizations that have space, that have property, that can be used for community purposes, including housing. We should be looking at all of that as a, as a resource to tap into. We should also be looking at properties that become vacant or unused because of the pandemic and because of its economic fallout. That includes hotels that'll be vacant, commercial spaces that will become vacant, office space for sure. Does it become acquired by somebody and put to use for some commercial purpose or is there a way, a way to take some of that and use it for community purposes? That's what I mean when I say tapping into community resources and looking at space for our people as one of the, the resources that's available. And again, I think it comes down to if you as a person or an organization have extra and enough to share, figuring out ways to make it available to the community. James Kushiba is a founder and volunteer with Hui Aloha. They have a flourishing partnership with Pu'uhonua Owai'anae, the homeless at Wai'anae Boat Harbor. We'll post a link to their work with this story. turn to our friends from the BBC for views from abroad on the upcoming U.S. presidential election. From the BBC in London, I'm Rich Preston with Global View on 2020, a look at how the world's been discussing the U.S. presidential election. Coming up, why President Trump is so popular in Japan and Ugandans consider why Africa should root for Donald Trump. But first, as election day nears, media around the world are considering which candidate would be better for their country. Mexican newspapers are wondering if a Joe Biden presidency would be bad for trade with the US. El Financiero says Joe Biden may demand a stricter enforcement of the recently signed trade deal, the USMCA. In other Mexican media, the Aristegui Noticias website ran an article critical of the current Mexican president, Andres Manuel López Obrador, and questioned how his friendly relationship with President Trump would be interpreted by a potential Democrat administration. How will the unique populism, the rancid nationalism, and the authoritarianism of López Obrador fit with the Biden presidency? That is the most important question. Meanwhile, Japan's Kyodo news agency ran an article saying that Joe Biden would be better for Asia than Donald Trump, even though Mr Biden may be softer on China. Both Japan and South Korea have seen relatively high support for President Trump. Earlier I spoke with Rupsha Mukherjee, who follows media in Asia for BBC Monitoring. She told me more about Mr Trump's appeal to Japanese people. One is Trump's uh personal bonhomie with uh, ex-Prime Minister Shenzo Abe, I think that did play a significant role because Abe was one of the first world leaders to meet Trump just after his election in 2016. And the second reason is Trump's stand in China. So Japan has been engaged in territorial disputes with China uh, and then uh, with Trump taking a strong stand over China that did find resonance among uh, Japanese people. 
What's the coverage of the presidential campaign been like in Japan? There have been some commentaries definitely on what it could mean for Asia. But it's been more of a factual reporting, so I think they have shied away from commenting too much on U.S.-Japan ties. And one of the reasons for that could be Prime Minister Sugar is uh, trying to keep a balanced approach ahead of the elections, so he doesn't want to offend Biden. At the same time, he do doesn't want to like openly praise or criticise Trump. There was a lot of excitement in South Korea when Donald Trump met North Korea's Kim Jong-un. But those denuclearization talks turned a bit cold. How do South Koreans view President Trump? Do they want him to stay in office? For South Korea, I think uh, compared to Japan, South Korean media has been uh, more vocal about how a Biden presidency could be better for, for the country. There was a lot of enthusiasm in South Korea. Uh, there could be some kind of a deal and denuclearization process would be progressing, but that hasn't happened. So there's a stalemate in talks. So that has definitely uh, affected Trump's popularity in South Korea. So they are looking forward to uh, what the next administration would mean for peace in the Korean peninsula. Rupsha Mukherjee of BBC Monitoring. Much of the global media we've reviewed see Joe Biden as a favourite, but of course not everyone supports him. Uganda's new vision ran an opinion piece titled Why Africa Should Vote Donald J. Trump. The author argued that one of the benefits of Mr. Trump's presidency has been that he's left Africa and much of the world to look after itself. Contrary to a widely held view among the US establishment that Trump is unstable, he hasn't started any new wars of regional or global scale. That's what some of the world's media have been saying about the US campaign. I'm Rich Preston at the BBC. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from YWCA of Kauai with a confidential hotline for domestic violence or sexual assault at 245-6362. Also, online chat and texting support accessible at ywcakauai.org. Book clubs with engaging discussions. Trivia nights with lively but friendly competition. Cocktail tutorials taught by Hawaii's leading bartenders. What do all of these have in common? They're examples of events put on by Generation Listen, a group of younger listeners who love HPR and connecting with other public radio nerds. These virtual events are free or inexpensive, are always a good time, and you're invited no matter what island you're on. Follow us on social at HPR Gen Listen. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, locations, and Honolulu Waldorf School. Earlier, Ku'uipo Kumukahi gave some perspective from her perch as Hawaiian Culture Director with the Hyatt Regency. She's also a Hawaii Tourism Authority board member. Importantly, Kumukahi is an educator, and that's where it started for her current co-conspirator on the Hawaiian Music Perpetuation Society. Janine Heleloa says she's discovering the depth of Hawaiian music. I took a Namele class from Kuipo at Kapiolani Community College in 2016. She taught a semester there. I absolutely enjoyed it. We um, talked about different composers and, and the song and how it moves us. 
there were, I think four or five of us that were registered for the class, but we had on average 30 people there. So many people that just wanted to be a part of it and it was wonderful. So that's where my interest for Hawaiian music really started to take off and took a, a whole another dimension. Hawaiian Music Perpetuation Society is one of the many wonderful projects that are born in that brain of hers. So she's got gajillions of them. You talk to her for five minutes, guarantee you come up with at least three, four projects. This was one that just took off. It stuck. Is this a yeah. new organization? We just started. It's a COVID baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> COVID baby. What was, why start it now? I mean, what are you? What do we do? How do we do this? We try to do a concert, a house concert via Zoom, but Zoom is not a platform for music. You know, no, it's uh, not. I know what you're saying. Yeah. And but we couldn't find one. And then we just said, well, what do we do about, you know, Hawaiian music? Not preserving, but having it live. So Beth Post said, perpetuation. Oh, that's it. The Hawaiian Music Perpetuation Society. That's it. How are you going to do this? Yeah, how are we going to do this? So we know we had a bunch of meetings, a bunch of ideas just floating around. We have a diagram that looks like a squid. So all these things we're going to do. So we said, okay, now, which one's first? All of them are first. <laughs> well, definitely, I couldn't do that. And then, you know, after going around and we, we, we sought out the help of all these guys to strategically guide us through my attorney, Gary Okuda, you know, who's become a friend of ours. He was, he's guiding us through all this. And then I was telling uh, Janine one day, you know what? I'm tired, stay home. I wasn't back at work. I cannot play music. My throat is not getting good because of these masks. They really do damage to the throat. I said, you know what? Well, we cannot make crowds, so let's go to the crowd then. Okay, how are we going to do that? We're going to get on the flatbed. I'm going to get some musicians. We're going to kani kapila and we're going to drive to the Hawaiian homesteads. She goes, what? Yeah, okay, let's just go find out how much does that cost, you know? And we ended up with a volunteer who has a truck, two volunteers because Janine has a truck. So we have a lead car. We have a truck. My musicians, Isaac and Danny, they're doing it. I told them, all sweat equity. This is all sweat equity. My sound man, they all came. We went, jumped on a truck. We went Waimanalo last Sunday before. Janine was the lead car, so she drove. She led the truck as we went through Waimanalo. Boom. We had, how many? 4,000 hits on our Facebook. Oh, man. I was just trying to look at the numbers again. There's a, a reach of uh, over 5,000. And uh, views, I think original views were at 3,600. Well, that's just taking it right on out. So this is all for the people. Uh, for love. Yeah, perpetuation for, for, and, and for love. And then this, this past Sunday, we went to Waianae. And we went overtime. We had to finish Lua Lua Lea. So we were still playing music in the dark. And people were coming out to their to their fences and their gates. And haraho, haraho. And then auntie and uncle, they come out. They start dancing. And uncle is like... He's like sitting like this on the fence. He's like, wow, wow, wow. It's perpetuating so much more than just music. Yes. And that's what we realized that we always talk about, oh, Hawaiian music is good for the soul. But when you actually see it. Our hope is that maybe when grants open up or we can find sponsors, we would like to do this on all islands with Hawaiian homestead lands. 
and find people of those homesteads who can sing their songs and go back to the old songs. Nothing wrong with the new songs, but there's a more connectivity with the old songs. And encourage young people to write more songs about land. You want to know about Hawaii? Look at the songs. Read it. Sing it. So you connect to the land when you sing. When we sing it together, we have connection to each other. That connects us back to the ground. We wrap it all up with song. singing about her home, Hawaii Island, and its particular pleasures in Kona Panaeva Keokaha. <laughs> it's from a hot Hawaiian nights recording. And that's Christopher Kamaka's ethereal tenor. Oh, how's this forward momentum, guys? Listen to it. Woo. All right, before we go, yes, it's Halloween tomorrow, and you are partying at home. The Hawaii Arts Alliance is bringing spooky stories right inside your house. 6 p.m., gather the kids around 8.30, terror for adults at home. Could be very scary. We'll post a link to the Hawaii Arts Alliance. Also, Lee Catalina's new play at Kumukahua Aloha Attire is sold out. Island Insurance Foundation bought the entire run and is giving it to the community free. Mahalo, Island Insurance. Free tickets to Lee Cataluna's new comedy about the 80s in Hawaii. Book them now at Kumu Kahua. <laughs> All right. Now, today you've been sampling from the Aloha Got Soul re-release of Stephen Teresa's Catching a Wave. Here's the title cut for a great Aloha Friday. Catching a wave, feeling the freedom flowing over me, makes me feel so free, and doing a dance, making sweet romance with an ocean lady love, blue skies above, my heart is here to stay. My soul is on its way Riding high on the wave Like it's touching the sky Oh, gee, that's about it for this Aloha Friday. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. We love to hear from you. You know that. Call our Talk Black line and leave those comments there. The number's 808-792-8217. Email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. You can post comments on Facebook at The Conversation HPR. Go ahead and tweet us, HI Conversation, or go to the Conversation page on the HPR website. You can listen back to this show right there. Now, this program is lovingly produced by Lillian Zong, Harrison Patino, and Jason Ubai. Our theme music like this, courtesy of Gypsy 808. I'm Noe Tanigawa, and coming up Monday, Catherine Cruz will be back to pick up the conversation. We got a full moon, Halloween, the election ahead. 
So let's take care of each other, okay? Happy Aloha Friday. <laughs>